Welcome to the Dry Ground Project podcast. Our goal is to create a global community of professionals caring for young adults aged out of orphanages and foster care. That's what we do. I'm your host, Callie. And I'm your co-host, Amanda. Welcome to the Dry Ground Project podcast. Let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to the Dry Ground Project. How are you, Amanda? I'm great this morning. How are you? I'm okay. You doing all right? uh, Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. I'm all right. (laughs) Today, I'm really excited about this episode. This is the reason we're here, really. Um, We are hearing from some of the young adults that we work with at Lighthouse Transitional Care. And um, we, we think it's so important to hear their voices, to listen to them, um, really, really listen, and we're going to do that today. Um, what do our listeners need to know going into this episode, Amanda? Um, well, I guess you'll need to know that these are stories from a couple of individuals who have been through the process of aging out. Um, and then just the one thing that I want everyone to know is that the voices of former foster youth or former orphanage um, kind of graduates are not and have not been at the forefront of very many conversations for a long time now. And there's right now a shift kind of happening where bigger organizations are starting to talk about, you know, listening to to this population. And um, I think it's something that many organizations and churches have and individuals have failed at for a while now. So to kind of remind people that these are important and these voices and stories are important, we're starting here. Yeah. So culturally, both of the stories, um, both of the youth we're going to hear from today are from Latvia. Um, they, They come from a similar orphanage system. Could you explain that a little bit? Yeah, so the system here, um, when both of these uh, young adults were in it, was an orphanage system. So um, a group residential setting where um, children had been removed from families and placed in in this residential care. Most of the youth we work with, but these that we'll hear today, were in the orphanage for more than 10 years or 10 or more years. Um, So a huge part of their childhood was spent in this kind of residential setting. And they'll talk a little bit about what their experience was like, but it wasn't foster families, which is kind of becoming more common. And now in their young adulthood, they have found us, Lighthouse Transitional Care. So talk about how the Lighthouse steps in and what we're trying to do. Yeah, so both of these youth have, they just kind of found us and, and reached out for help on um, kind of different personal things that they were they were going through at the time. They're both mid to late 20s. Um, they're both just precious. Um, what else? They've, I mean, they've, they've used a lot of our resources uh, at different points in their life. 
Okay, so if you're not familiar with Lighthouse Transitional Care, go back and listen to our very first episode where we talk about what the Lighthouse is, what we do, where we're coming from, and you can just learn more about our organization. We'll also talk about it as we go, but both of these youth have been part of our program. Both of these youth have been in our program for at least a year, so they've they've um, learned a lot while they were with us. Um, one of the youth we'll hear from today, Allison, uh, talks a lot about spiritual family and how we've been able to kind of create that within the organization. And I think that drives home the point, right, is that the goal is spiritual family and connection and being with people as you're trying to navigate adolescence, period, but especially when you're trying to navigate adolescence when you haven't been given any ground to stand on. Great. Anything else to keep in mind before we hear our first story? Um, We talk about statistics with our youth um, in in the interviews kind of coming up. So the statistics are one out of every 10 uh, youth that have aged out of orphanage and foster care quote, air quotes, make it, um, what tends to happen to the nine others is uh, incarceration, homelessness, single parenthood, um, suicide, and other um, just severe mental health uh, battles. So, you know, we, we ask them about these statistics and how they make them feel. So going into it, it's, it's good to know that uh, so that you know what we're referencing. Yeah. These statistics aren't good and they're they're coming from really hard and heavy places. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and listen to our first story from Sydney. It was theoretically on my birthday, but I got my state apartment a few days earlier. So I got to celebrate my 18th birthday in my adult apartment yay (laughs) so you were excited about that yes of course Mm -hmm. so then what afterwards was the hard part well um managing life uh all the bureaucracy and the practical things that come with being an adult being a human going to school health care everything Knowing my resources was one of the biggest ones. Mm-hmm. You knew there was like help out there for you, but you didn't know how to get to it. No, I knew some stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I knew that I could go to social workers and things like that. But there's also like shame and guilt to that because you're supposed to be independent. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. What were you afraid of during that time? that my kidneys would fail and they did (laughs) yeah so do you want to talk about your illness because that's that's so aging out is already hard right and then you had something else to deal with on top of that so yeah well I genuinely don't know how I am how I even got here today like um I mean I know how I got here it's I think it's one of the questions afterwards like what what helped Mm -hmm. it's having one, two, stable, reliable, good people in your life. 
because when you're in the system, nobody teaches you boundaries, morals, practical things. But when you have someone to bounce your ideas off of, it gets a lot easier. Yeah, but, <laughs> but you were sick on top of. Oh yes, yes. I I was sick for most of the time when I was in the orphanage. I truly believe that it was the stress and trauma on top of genetical predisposition to the illness that led me to it. Mm -hmm. Got it. So stable relationships helped. Do you want to say anything else about that? Like, do you remember specific times that something really meant a lot to you, some kind of help or a word from someone? Or was it just then constantly being there? I can mention my brother because this is very odd, but whenever I would spiral down really, really deep and things would be horrible, he somehow always knew. He would just text me, hey, what's up? Do you want to hang out? And that meant everything. And I think, yeah, that, that was one of the biggest ones. And my best friend, shout out to her. <laughs> <laughs> she's the reason why I'm able to do most of the things I'm doing at the moment. Uh, yeah, but there, for those two, it wasn't really anything specific. It's just the, them being there. Yeah, good. What do you wish you'd had going through that hard time? <laughs> more friends. Uh, <laughs> yeah, more people like that. Yes, mm -hmm. uh, boundaries, because those are really hard to implement when you have no autonomy whatsoever and then you're supposed to go out and be a functional human being and knowing my resources which is a big one that's what i've been thinking about in the past years that every aging out orphan should have like an available list of what to do and where to turn in case of anything yeah but it's kind of impossible to know what will happen. I mean, your case especially, like, you didn't yeah. know you were going to be so sick. True, yeah. I needed a new kidney, like, a year after, maybe, but two years after I aged out, I think I got the kidney. So I started dialysis almost immediately after. And that was also purely, like, the orphanage workers neglect because I would be sick so much and they were just so tired of me being sick that they would like abandon me and not give me the help I needed mm -hmm. yeah I've heard that from other yeah other youth like going to the doctor the and the state doctors know you're an orphan and they're, you're not treated well yeah and that sucks Okay, there are a lot of statistics about people aging out of orphan care. Like, women are trafficked and boys go to prison um, in really high numbers. So how, and I assume you've seen those before, so how does, how does it feel to hear about those kinds of things? Well, I'm firstly not surprised at all. I, I know how it is and... I I see really most of the people I went to the orphanage with 
falling into most of those statistics. Unless they, like me, have like one or two really good support persons. Uh, but yeah, it's heartbreaking. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. Nobody should ever go through that. No. But you're also going to beat the statistics. Obviously. Here. I am like, how many percent of orphans go to university like one? Yeah. And how many disabled orphans? I think there's Single none. Single digits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yay to that. It's amazing. Wow. So tell our listeners what you're doing now and what your goals are and your hopes for the future. Let's end on a high note. Yes. So currently I am studying biology, which is something I've always wanted to do. Uh, yeah, shout out to my best friend again because she paid for my, for the first half of my semester and math tutors and all of that. That helps so much. And yeah, I'm doing that. I just got a research position at an institute that works with mushrooms. And yeah, I think that's what's next. Yeah. And two more years of studies. So what's your ultimate dream after studying? Like, where do you want to end up? Um, <laughs> a piece of myself, but- That's a great answer. <laughs> but practically speaking, I just yeah I think it's just I want to be at peace to myself functional happy content you're on your way yeah uh halfway there hopefully Mm -hmm. (laughs) cool and we're cheering you on yes and practically also helping Mm -hmm. (laughs) that is sometimes more important than cheering someone up It's all the things. Yeah. Okay, anything else you want to tell us that we didn't talk about? Anything else coming to mind? Are you I, I'm thinking about the statistics. Because mm-hmm. I was thinking a lot about the fact that a lot of these, and not only I was saying, uh, which is like misfortune, misfortune doesn't come alone. So if you're already at a disadvantage, then you just keep, it keeps piling up because you can't, deal with one thing and if you're in one vulnerable position you get into another one like oh you you you're an orphan you you live in an apartment that's given to you you don't know the state that it's in that gives you more health problems health problems gives you you can't go to work and it's just insane yeah and for that i don't have a solution yet (laughs) the system's broken and it's complicated yes but you're encouraging because you're really, you're studying and you're doing so well, even though it's hard. I know it's hard. Yeah. But we're proud of you. Okay. Phew. How are we feeling after hearing that story? <laughs> so I've, uh, you know, we've, we've listened to this a couple of times and every time I, I hear it, I think just about, um, her health issues, right? Because this is a big, a big thing for her. And I always think, like, what happens in a healthy relationship when a child is sick, right? You have someone nearby ready to like hug and love on you and get you what you need. But it's more than just that instrumental like medicine and a blanket. It's in a healthy relationship. It's also that emotional nurture. And I can't imagine being as sick as she was 
and not getting any of that emotional like nurture and care resolved yeah Yeah. and I think you know I've had trauma around medical experiences Um, when you're as sick as she was there's going to be trauma specifically from a medical experience and to have that trauma on top of the trauma of being in an orphanage for 10 years is so much it really I mean she said she didn't know how she got here today and that that felt really true Um, but going back to the beginning it surprised me how she said she was so happy to age out. That's mm-hmm. not something I hear a lot from our kids. Like, And mostly if I'm talking to young adults who are about to turn 18, a lot of them are feeling really nervous mm-hmm. and scared and not sure about what's going to happen next. But she was just kind of done yeah. and ready to get out of there. Is that something you hear? Um, no, it, it also surprised me, but what it did for me was it reminded me how important it is to ask youth about their experiences as they age out, because each one of them could have a completely different perspective. And if we wouldn't have asked her, we would just assume that it was always going to be this anxious, horrible thing, but she was excited about it. And so like, you know, to, to ask and to get those stories is kind of the moral of of the, (laughs) the lesson here. Yeah. And to ask neutrally. Mm -hmm. Um, not to project a feeling onto them. Like if I'm talking to a 16 or 17 year old in the orphan care system at camp, I'm not going to say like, oh, you get nervous about aging out. Right. I'm just going to say, hey, how are you feeling about it? This is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, And Sydney goes on to admit that she was perhaps a little naive about (laughs) aging out because, you know, once she was on her own, it was hard. Yeah. Yeah. And she also brought up the the expectations about being independent. And I think that this is a language that has been kind of surrounding the age out conversation for a while of like, oh, you're 18. And even in families, people talk about they're 18, they can finally leave and go start their own life. And, you know, all of this kind of language around what turning 18 means. And so she had built up all of these beliefs about, you know, okay, I'm 18 and I have independence and I'm supposed to know all the things. And then on top of just not having many people to turn to, um, you know, she does bring up having that one, a few, a few key people that were there to help. And I think that that is just such a godsend because um, I've, I've met and, and know some of the people that she's referring to and they have really kept her afloat and they are just good, solid anchors for her. And, um, like that is a lifesaver. Yeah, definitely. Um, she did even message me after this conversation and, um, she really wanted to emphasize that there is a huge and fast shift from being in an orphanage and having people pity you and say like, Oh, poor orphan. You're so small and helpless to then all of a sudden, why don't you have your life together? What's wrong with you? Why can't you do this? Figure it out. And that's just infuriating. Yeah, that is infuriating. And like, you know, we've been dealing with this for the past month now. Just some of the, the stigma and bias and judgment that our youth face in everyday activities and everyday like moments because of being from an orphanage. So when they're in the system, that that pity party that comes in versus the, you know, the the judgment that comes after. And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, how are you how are you supposed to have figured anything out? Um is yeah, infuriating. Yeah, and not fair. No. Um 
So then we move on and talk about the statistics. I I didn't want to read the statistics to them in these interviews. Like they know and oh, they've yeah. seen yeah. from their peers. Um, but I think what surprised and encouraged me in this is that in both of these stories, you'll hear the next one, um, Sydney is so proud of herself because she knows she's going to beat the statistics mm-hmm. and she should be proud. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she's worked so hard to, to be in this, um, this spot and yes, she's needed extra help. But I mean, I remind her all the time, like you are doing it, you are doing it. You are the one like getting yourself out of bed and going to do these things. And so it's your victory at the end of the day. And that is amazing. Yeah. And her, her ultimate goal to be at peace with herself. I cried the first time I heard it because that is, that is the goal for, for anyone, right? Like when you're looking at what you want to be in, in 10 years or when you're old and wrinkly, like what do you want to be? Yeah. Is it, This story always gets attributed to being John Lennon as a small child. Like there was an assignment in his early elementary school where they asked him, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, happy. (laughs) Right. Like, and as a strict teacher would say, you misunderstood the assignment, but really we know. Yeah. Yeah. Like that is, that is the goal and to be at peace and, uh, in, in your own skin in a world that is, you know, a challenge is like a victory. And finally, she very astutely talks about how if you have one disadvantage, they're going to keep on coming. And we've seen that. Yeah, this this was such a good um, thing to bring up. And I'm glad she did because um, it goes back to that, um, you know, the, the systemic issues here, right? It's not just separation from family. It's separated from family, put in a residential care facility put in the setting where you need to be on edge to survive and then that stress makes you sick and it just compounds over and over and over again uh, and it's a really good kind of way to summarize what happens when you're growing up in a system that's really broken and not the way that we're supposed to be growing up. Yeah, And I think it points to the importance of our work. Our goal is to interrupt this cycle and to lead people like Sydney to health and um, a better future. Right. Awesome. So let's hear from our next youth. Our next story is from Allison. What was it like to age out of the orphanage? For me, it was not like a simple way as all others orphan have, have or has. <laughs> because um, I already was pregnant on that time. They gave me two weeks to leave the the house and find the apartment where to live. On that time, it was 90 lats, what approximately 120 euros maybe. And for me, it was uh, stressful because I even didn't got the chance to say goodbye to my friends because I had to do and think everything in a hurry. I was on that time, I think on eighth of month of pregnancy. So it was really stressful for me because when you realize that you like counted 
almost like a homeless person and also how to do give a born for the child in two months that's terrible thing yeah that's really hard what was the scariest part of that experience what were your fears at the time and uh, time for me was the most and the people around me because when i got pregnant i already already saw that people don't want don't want to be part of my life because I'm pregnant and people don't want to hang out with a pregnant woman. Why should they if they can hang out with the same age? So for me, I lost a lot of friends and don't had any connections to other people. So at that time, it was really hard to me because I had to think really fast and find people that could help me and um, stop being gorgeous because asking help it's not something that would destroy my personality but it was not for me more but for my child and child it was more important than my whole life yeah you had to grow up fast and take care of somebody else for sure So what do you wish you'd had back then? What would have helped? If I would be on that moment, I think a bunch of money. (laughs) Because I wish I had a bunch of money now. (laughs) Uh, Because uh, my budget was 90 lots. So what I could do with that money, even for food. So I spent it for my apartment to it was a really cheap apartment so realized there's no furniture nothing and there was also box and it was disgusting but uh, friends around me in that moment they helped me a lot yeah, yeah. but a lot of cash yeah. would have been nice so <laughs> everything what i got it was already done by god so I already achieved a friendship like for all my life. Aww. Yeah. Awesome. Um, okay, so you know all the statistics about people who age out of the orphan care system. Some like you get pregnant really early. Some women are trafficked. Mm. Um, boys end up in prison at really high rates. How how do you feel knowing those numbers? Um, have you seen, I mean, you've been out of the orphanage for so long now, but you know, your friends, has that happened to them? I know a lot of my friends also are single mothers and uh, I would not say that this is something terrible. You still can socialize with other people. The only things what is changed to you is just because you have to accept yourself uh, and um, stop thinking of other things that you used to be. Orphan, being orphan in this care system, you already uh, are into drugs, like you start to smoke, you start to drink. And actually being single mother saved me from that because I had to think of my health and become more 
more grown yeah, this so yeah mm -hmm. yeah of course uh, maybe some people would uh, in my situation would go in other way there is a lot of stories as well with the bed the same thing happened with their child they get to the that system again but i am one of those statistics that can prove that we can live also being single also being using drugs and we can get from that and be a normal people as all others doesn't matter yeah so what are you doing now what's your life like how's it going um i always wanted to be as uh, and understand why God loves our planet and people. And <laughs> my story is funny <laughs> because this is how I went for love with aviation. And now I can see how God from the up can see our planet. And it's really beautiful. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've working aviation, I'm flying, I see the world world around. As well, my paid is a normal, I can survive, survive even being single mother. Um, and my child as well is really grown now. She's uh, almost 11, so she can help me now. Not like she's working like a slave, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, she's she, more independent. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah she's a my friend and I always wanted to not being alone because when you in a care system you don't have family and now I have family even if we are two for each other we are still family no matter the number that's true and you're a great mom <laughs> thank you <laughs> um, okay last question is what do you wish people knew about what it's what this is like uh, they in the system feels really lonely we are don't knowing what to do we are afraid to ask we are afraid to be weak because what we are al always doing is try to survive even in system you have your things that can be stolen or you can lose or it's fight every day uh, what i wanted they knew by becoming the christian that they never are alone there i wish they could find the person that could help them not only not only have to live live in your in their lives but also this this connection with the god because i luckily got in america and met the christian family so i grow this knowledge through from them but some of them just never met christians at all so i think they can't trust people and I wish they could find somebody that they really can trust mm -hmm. and if that person also can explain what exactly will be after 
18 mm-hmm. years old. It would be much easier because in family, you learn those things. You see your mad- mother is doing cooking. You can help them. Her, you see father, how he hard working, came really tired. You see how they calculating those bills, making budget. In orphanage, you don't have budget. No. You're just living as a child and don't know what exactly will be in the future. And would be great if they could, could just learn things really simply by looking. Mm-hmm. Nobody would come and just teach you, oh, this is bill for electricity you have to, have to pay yeah, or how to search a job. So, yeah, this is what I wish that they got this person that they can trust. So, to put it bluntly, Allison was kicked out of her orphanage because she was pregnant. Yep. That sucks. Yeah. And this was, so she's one of the oldest youth that we work with. So this was a, a long time ago before deinstitutionalization was happening here in Latvia, before there was any kind of talk about trauma and and anything. This was way back when. Uh, And so unfortunately that response and behavior from the orphanage does not surprise me for 10, 11 years ago. Right. But we know that even in the system in America, it's impossible to find foster homes for single mothers with children. Yes. They're just like the, the most marginalized of the marginalized. Yeah. And um, something that I don't think Allison brought up enough in her story because she is humble is how hard she worked mm-hmm. and how like she did respond to those challenges really quickly. She thought on her feet. She's always been so hardworking. She's always held a job, if not two or three at a time, mm-hmm. to provide for her daughter. So And studied and gotten an education. And, I mean, she is very humble and but we'll say it for her here she works so hard and she has done so well to pursue things that are going to make her life better but also going to make her daughter's life better and she's always thinking of that legacy that that she has now Mm -hmm. and um i mean she says that she did it because she had to and that's true. And sometimes we have seen single mothers being more successful because they, they do have to grow up fast and think about someone else, right? Yeah. And this is where um, I, I have a note here that Allison is one of the, quote, statistics, right? She is one of the people that we're talking about when we talk about these statistics. But she has thrived in that. And so I, I don't want us to think that these statistics mean that it's an automatic failure. Like some things are really heartbreaking but like if we can trust that God has a testimony for each of us in our own stories and experiences then we can also trust that these kind of what we might call negative things can be redeemed and that is what we've seen here is that this kind of challenge really pulled her into a different mindset and probably one that she needed to help keep her alive honestly yeah and she does talk about that and her faith and she really believes that God saved her from this and he did 
Mm-hmm. But I love how it just kind of oozes out of her story. Yeah. In every other word, she's attributing all of her success to her faith in God. And um, she talks about how she kind of first met Jesus in America mm-hmm. um, as part of a hosting program. Do you want to explain that to our audience, how she ended up there? Yeah. So there are some organizations that do hosting and they, they come and they interview kids that are in an orphanage and then they find families in America willing to host. And the, um, the idea is that you can bring ministry work into your home rather than taking your whole family out into the mission field. Right. And so it's kind of built around this, this premise. Um, and so she was hosted when she was still in the orphanage to the States. Yeah, and these are short-term hosting times, so it'll be a month over their winter break from school or three months in the summer, and then they come back. And sometimes that's really hard, but sometimes it's really good. It just, it really depends on the kid. Um, I think it also depends on the family because the family that Allison went to has stayed connected with her ever since. And they are still, like, helping her financially. You know, she talked about not having enough money, (laughs) Uh, which I love because it's just such a real and practical uh, thing, and it's absolutely true. But she had a family that was willing to support her over the span of 11 years after hosting her, and that's where I think hosting has success is, like, there's there's that long-term relational connection. And that's also what we're trying to do at Lighthouse Transitional Care. And she, I think, speaks to our mission and why we're doing our work at the end of her story when she talks about how no one taught her how to budget and no one taught her how to live. So that's a big part of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. We are providing community and healing, but we're also just teaching them the skills that they missed. Yeah. I think something that I enjoyed about her bringing that up was, or not really enjoyed, but I noticed was kids know what they're missing out on. And I think that we can get into this mindset where, oh, they're in an orphanage. They were taking when they were so young. They don't really know. This is just their new normal. But with, you know, movies and TV shows and, and the way that everyone else talks about family, like they, they know what they've lost and they grieve it constantly. And when you talk to kids that were in the system, they will, they will tell you that they, they'll always grieve that loss and that, that family that could have been. And that's what I heard when, when she was bringing this up was just the, she knew what she was missing and was still not able to find or, or get that. And that just breaks my heart. Yeah. She talks about, you know, you don't see mom parenting and you don't see dad working hard. And, and that kind of leads to the fact that there's nothing to look forward to. There's no certain future. And of course, the future isn't certain for any of us, but how much more uncertain is it when you don't see those things, Mm -hmm. um, when you have no healthy example? But now, Allison can be a healthy example. Yes. And um, we didn't talk about this, um, but when we recorded with her, we were actually heading into a party celebrating her as the first graduate of our program. Mm-hmm. And she she doesn't want to just disappear now that she's graduated. She wants to come back and be a volunteer and a mentor for other youth and especially other single moms, as she talked about in her story. Um, 
And that's amazing. Yeah. That's going to interrupt the cycle of this happening. Yeah. And, you know, we, when we're talking with our young adults and whatnot, we, we remind them often of how important their story is because their, their story and their experience can directly minister to others in the same situation. And there are a lot of single moms coming out of the orphanage. We serve three out of the 10 students that are like officially enrolled in our program. And um, there are so many more out in just this tiny country. And if we can disrupt the cycle of um, children being separated from their families, then like that's that's a win, right? Because we need to we need to stop doing this. Anything else about Allison's story you wanted to point out? Yeah, I uh, for for both Sydney and Allison, I hate that they weren't really surprised by the statistics. You know, like they they know that this is the reality because I've I've been in settings where I've you know been speaking and I, I share these statistics and the people in the church are just like oh my gosh like that is insane uh, and they you know are really shaken by by the numbers and then you have these two kids that are in their twenties that are like oh yeah that makes sense my friend's doing this my friend's doing that and like how normal it is to see the the failure of your peers that are coming from the exact same setting um, was really kind of not eye-opening, but I think a good motivator for continuing to tell these stories, right? Like more people should hear them so that less people are surprised about this so that more people can step in to help and, and offer training and support and advocacy. So now that our listeners have heard these two stories, what is our hope for them? What are their next steps? Go find more stories. You can follow the hashtag former foster youth on Instagram and you'll have just tons of accounts and stories of other um, young adults that grew up in the foster care system in the States, uh, in the orphanage care system and in other parts of the world. They're out there and they want to tell their stories. So go and follow them and listen to them and buy their books and, like, just listen. So those were our two stories today from Sydney and Allison, and we hope that you'll keep listening, not just to us, but to any former foster youth you can find online or in your personal circle. So thanks for listening today to the Dry Ground Project podcast, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. The Dry Ground Project is hosted and produced by us, Callie Newton and Amanda Bannister. Music and production support by Aaron Newton. Sound production and design by Jonathan Neves. Find us online at thedrygroundproject.org, on Instagram at thedrygroundproject, and on Twitter at drygroundproj. See you next time.